You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. Coming off of the glory that was yesterday's opening segment, I feel Riveting. like thinking about that all day yesterday, losing sleep, MKG three-point percentage, and making that a focal point of the opening segment, the way we should have made that segment interesting was to compare Orlando and Toronto's Game 1 to Charlotte and Miami's series in 2016. Maybe that's how we could have made that interesting, Doug. Steve Clifford, the different strategies that he employed both in, in, in each of those series, some of the things that he had to learn against the Miami Heat when they went seven games, and it's not nearly as big of an upset as this series would be if Orlando beats Toronto. But that's how we could have made that interesting, and I chose to talk about MKG's shooting ability and the three-point percentage. Well, teams are always looking for different advantages, and that's what I think Clifford learned in that in that playoff series against Miami that that Miami defense was completely keyed in on stopping two players, Kimball Walker and Jeremy Lin. And they did whatever was possible to take those players out of the game. And none of the other uh, shooters for Charlotte could really respond. And that's why they only scored 91 points in game one, 103 in game two. And they got blanked and, you know, by double digits in both of those games. And then there were some problems stopping the wall ding on down the line. But then you saw Clifford and, and the rest of those games make an adjustment make Al Jefferson more of a factor to take some pressure off of Kimball Walker and that seemed to get the Charlotte Hornets offense going and so now it seems like Clifford is taking those lessons into his series against Toronto uh, but I think you know let's look at that Brooklyn and and uh, Philadelphia series and understand that you know talent still wins in the NBA playoffs like a lot of these teams are getting some surprise wins but are you ready to always- call it after the Philly win I'm, I'm just saying, like that was a that was a decisive third quarter. It a, was enough of a third quarter to make you think, like, oh man, this is this is not going to go well. I'm still worried about Philadelphia a little bit. It was a third quarter. I think if you're Kenny Atkinson, though, you can dismiss it as that. Look, you got outplayed for one third quarter. Everything else has been close, or you've won. And so I still think that Brooklyn has a shot because Embiid's injury is not gone. He did play a lot more efficiently yesterday. I think Brett Brown and company did a good job of allowing Tobias Harris to actually be involved in the rotation, actually be involved within the offense. I think Ben Simmons got a lot of open looks because of the defense, and that led into some transition points. But it doesn't mean that Ben Simmons is going to be good in the half court again. You know, I, I think that I'm still worried about Brooklyn, but I do get your point, right? I'm, I'm still going Toronto over Orlando. They still do have more talent, even though you might take a Steve Clifford. I would imagine a lot of people would take a Steve Clifford as a better head coach, more so than a Nick Nurse. Even though Nick Nurse has gotten praise for some different things he's implemented this season, I think a lot of people probably would go with Steve Clifford. But your point is well received that Toronto, they're more talented. That is a team that's going to beat Orlando. But I think it's it's part of the reason why I really felt like the Charlotte Hornets making the playoffs, if they weren't going to be really, really bad, that making the playoffs actually would have been a good thing for the Charlotte Hornets because it would have given James Borrego and some of these younger players an opportunity to make some mistakes against Milwaukee. You're going to lose that series, but if you can walk away from that series having learned something, some lesson that you can take into your next playoff series – that would have benefited the, the Charlotte Hornets franchise long term. I agree with that. I was ready to get to the playoffs, and we've talked about this a ton of times. 
the tanking versus making the playoffs. I, I was, again, I, I was fine going for the playoffs with that kind of roster that was built for the Hornets, and then they didn't make it. And now I'm just at a personal preference where I would rather try something else. And I think, you know, having Kimball Walker be off of the team next season, I just think that probably lends itself to a better opportunity to try to move on and get to a second round of the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we understand this is just pre- personal preferences for people. A lot of people are very angry if you let Kimba go. Some people want Kimba to stay and some people want him to go. And I get all of that. But if you would have made the playoffs, that would have just been another benefit. Having James Borrego, having these young guys learn something, whatever it was, just learn something heading into whatever the next playoff series might be down the line. You would hope sooner than later, but whatever it might be down the line. And it's why Steve Clifford has done such a good job of adapting. You know, Steve Clifford kind of viewed as an old school guy. But last season, you did see Steve Clifford adapt and take more threes. You did see the offense start to change a little bit. And in this game, I said this yesterday, seeing Vucevic only hit three field goals, only Aaron Gordon hits three field goals. Terrence Ross, who was so big, hit two. So you rely on DJ Augustine. And DJ Augustine has been a little bit better offensively than probably a lot of people realize, just your casual NBA fan this season. But they relied on him heavily to get some buckets for them. And so when you look at those three guys that did a lot of the scoring, getting you three field goals or less and having to figure out a way for other people to be involved, Steve Clifford did a decent job of trying to get those guys some opportunities. And so while you might look at this series and say, well, okay, it still took Toronto, it still took Orlando, I should say, uh, basically last second field goal to win that game and Kyle Lowry scored zero points. You could look at it that way, but also look at the three guys I just mentioned for Orlando and Toronto was barely able to squeak out with uh, a close game, at least at the end of that. And let's understand this too, that to do something different offensively, to give opportunities to players that maybe didn't get those same opportunities in the regular season, to change things up requires that you be extremely comfortable with what you normally do. Right. I mean, that makes sense. If you want to change it up and do that effectively, you have to be comfortable with with your rotation, with the guys that you're playing with. And I think that goes to sort of Clifford's mantra of developing a rotation and sticking with it through the regular season, because all of those players are now comfortable in their roles, but also in where everyone's going to be. And so you can make some adjustments, make some tweaks and get an advantage over a better team if you're comfortable with who you're playing with. So what is the right ratio? What What is James Borrego, what does he have to ask himself on? What is the right ratio to make sure players are cemented in their role? This is going to be the playing time that you get every game? Or, you know, that doesn't work. I'm going to throw out a different rotation. And he did the latter a lot this season. You know, Malik Monk, he tried to put Malik Monk in. Like, that's somebody that I think he needed to do a lot better than he did in order to get back in the rotation. But he sat. You know, MKG sat, Bismack Biombo was up and down, Billy Hernan Gomez got some time and then he didn't. It was it was a bunch of weird rotations like a Jeremy Lamb getting in the starting lineup and some of it worked and some of it didn't. And so what ratio do you want to go with as far as these are the guys that are cemented in their roles? They know exactly what's going to happen every time that they come into the arena for practice or a game. And, well, this isn't working. Let's try to switch it up. What is the right ratio there? Because I think that's a tough question for Borrego to ask. I think it is. answer it, too. Well, I think it's it's definitely a tough question, especially when you're still getting to know your team and getting 
getting to know these players. I mean, Clifford had the luxury of having been with that team for several years when he was developing those rotations. So, I mean, you give you give Borrego a little leeway, right, as he's learning, you know, who's who's capable of doing what and when. And and so he does change up the rotations. And honestly, it's a testament to, well, Kemba's talent and also a testament to Borrego that he was able to make so many changes and still almost get this team to the playoffs. But I think people that want those rotations submitted earlier, cemented earlier, would argue that even if the Hornets had gotten into the playoffs, they would not have been very effective because of all of that change in the regular season. And just mentioning Bismack Biombo there, big news from Bismack Biombo. He does pick up his $17 million option. Doug, how shocked are you today? No, oh, I mean, it's one of the least shocking things <laughs> that I think I could have heard today. I mean, Ben Simmons missing a three-pointer might be a little less shocking than that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Biz was always going to take this money. There were, no other team was going to give him the. I mean, he was the uh, uh, beneficiary of an insane 2016 where general managers were just snorting big contracts for, for big guys. I mean, they were just like, Bismack, $17 million. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, that's good. Timothy Cup- Mozgov. Cup- that was, well, oh, yeah. Cupcheck. Cupcheck and Rich Joe. They had the biggest appetite for that. I mean, both later on, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, Cho taking the Miles Plumley deal, which was also another. I mean, Milwaukee went Miles Plumley. Well, that was a second helping for Rich Cho, who mm. in 2016 went after a couple of those contracts. Mar- I mean, was it Marvin a beneficiary of of that of bigger money, or was that? Well, no, Marvin. Will no, he was Marvin yeah. Williams was a beneficiary. We got Nick Batum, and I was asking you just before we stepped on the mic today. But but somebody that's the thing though. Somebody was going to give that money, but to Batum I think some of these other contracts you could argue no they were they were bidding against themselves sure somebody so also factoring in that just talking about the worst contracts in the NBA you know we, we all have the numbers out there but we were just wondering what would Bismack get on the market now and you're thinking vet minimum right like Bismack would probably get the veteran minimum you know Timofey Mozgov would probably get the veteran minimum you know, and a Tyler Johnson, he's probably getting more than the veteran minimum. You know, an Alan Crabb, that was a bad contract that Brooklyn, Brooklyn was hell bent on getting him. And they eventually got him after Portland, I think maxed, or I think it matched the contract, I should say. And then Brooklyn was able to get him once 2016 rolled around. But either way, that's one where I don't, that's more than the veteran minimum. But a lot of these were so bad, and it just so happens a couple of those that we mentioned were Rich Cho and uh, Mitch Kupchak as well, both of those guys getting involved. We also have Rick Bennell on today. We skipped him last week, just scheduling issues. So we got him back on again today. We'll talk a little bit about some of the exit interviews that happened last week, the Mitch Kupchak press conference, and we'll mention a little bit about how that season wrapped up for the Charlotte Hornets. We appreciate you joining us today. Remember to find the show handle on most social media platforms. It's at Locked On Hornets. I'm on Twitter, at Walker Mail. Doug on Twitter, at Doug Branson, LOH. We'll join you again with Rick Bennell right after the break. Tyler Johnson. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three-point line? Oh, did I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay. <laughs> you did. I think okay. you said Miles Leonard. That was Leonard. on me. Good sorry about that. That's a bad mistake. I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be Hot the shot. same wavelength. Hot shot. There. Myers Leonard. <laughs> that's, that's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. 
Thanks again for joining us on the Locked On Hornets podcast. We skipped it last Tuesday, and since then, we've learned that the Hornets would be bounced from playoff contention. We had exit interviews last week, along with a Mitch Kupchak presser, and we'll head back to the guest line this week with a man who covered it all. It's Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer, and as always, you can find him on Twitter, at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks for hopping on once again with us. How are you? Certainly. I'm I'm fine. I'm, uh, I'm finally, for the first time in a month or so, slowing down a little bit and actually looking at the sunshine and getting some exercise. Well, I know it was a, a busy week last week with the season wrapping up. We had that late push for the playoffs where there was a scenario, although highly unlikely, depending on the New York Knicks to get the job done as well as the Hornets trying to beat the Orlando Magic. But you had that ever so slight chance of a playoff berth. Then you had exit interviews and a Mitch Kupchak presser. And Rick, I want to get to what was a top headline on ESPN's main page. A lot of people were discussing Mitch Kupchak's comments on Kemba Walker. He said they're going to do everything they can to keep Kemba Walker here in Charlotte. And I just, what is Mitch Kupchak to you? What does he mean when he says that? And also, what does that mean for the franchise when he says that? Well, first of all, I was surprised he said it, even if if he thinks so. I wasn't surprised that they would be of that opinion. Because as you and I have talked about, you know, the, the boat is so far down the river at this point that there's not a, there's not a way to paddle it back. But I am surprised that they that he would put it as as directly as he could. There was no equivocation there whatsoever. And Walker, what's interesting to me is not so much you know what they would pay Kemba, but if Kemba has been as clear as he has that he does not want to be in a place where he does not have a chance to win and win soon. What are they going to do in the next three months to convince him that this is, you know, this is that place that they haven't done in the prior eight years that Kemba's been here? It's always been the million-dollar question, and it will be until it's answered. How are they going to find a really great complimentary piece to Kemba? Well, and, and Rick, something I found interesting, just it, it seems like if you want to make a real roster change, bringing back Kemba Walker, it's going to be really tough because it takes so much more of your money. And this season, we know next year is when $40 million comes off of the books. But still, next season, it's going to be tough to change the roster. And we know Mitch Kupchak wasn't willing to do everything to part with a first-round selection as we saw at the deadline. You know, if, if I feel like if they wanted Marcus All, they could have done it by just giving up the first-round selection. So it's not that Mitch is panicking and readily to press eject on the first-round selection. And in that case, Rick, I just, what could they do? I mean, does it all come down to getting rid of that first-round selection to bring back Kemba and something else different that would be a massive change with the roster? I don't know, but I will say this. Um, Mitch has gone out of his way since literally the day that the Dwight Howard trade became official to say that he thought that that $8 million trade exception was a great tool. Um, it's only a tool if you use it, and it's only, you know, it's only good until, you know, through the first week of July. Um, what that would allow you to do is, is take on $8 million in veteran salary off somebody's roster without sending $8 million back in the other direction. Um, there are teams that are going to want to get out from underneath players. $8 million does not get you a great player, but it might put you in some kind of a position if, for instance, you combined you know, that with like somebody who, for instance, was willing to take on the last year of Marvin's contract. It might get you into a situation. I'm not saying I'm using this as a sort of example, sure. not because I think it's sort of what they do, but as a for instance, if you were really desperate to get Kemba's attention, what about Kevin Love? 
Well, and Kevin Love has been thrown out there quite a bit as like as far as the stars readily available, right? Like we talked about this with Bradley Beal so much because we had no clue if the Wizards were going to be willing to sell. It would take everything, I would imagine, to get a Bradley Beal. You know, you do wonder what the value would be in return for Kevin Love would be. And I personally wouldn't love that trade. I wouldn't like it, but I, I, I hate wonder, his contract. You know, it's awful. It, it's not good. And you know, this is a guy with an injury history. But you wonder, in, in your point, in the way that you said it, I think it does make sense. Like if they're desperate to keep Kimba, and and that's the message you want to go with. You know, maybe that's a guy you throw out there because I don't know what other stars would be readily available to be had at this point, right? I mean, I can't think of anybody. No, and you know, Jerry Valencourt yesterday afternoon asked me a question that I thought was well put. He said, what can they do between now and July 1st to make Kemba feel valued? And I said, treat him like a partner, not an employee. I think that they will make a, you know, there's nothing that stops them from having communication with him in a way that other teams can't. And if I were them, I would make every effort to keep him in the loop on whatever they're trying to do. Rick Bennell joining us here, Locked on Hornets podcast. Rick, what do they do about Nick Batum? I know that's going to be one of the highly discussed questions this offseason. We had the Zach Lowe prediction, which wasn't a whole lot of substance as far as evidence. He just thought, you know, maybe that would be something that would happen. It's going to be really tough, but what do we do here in Charlotte? What does Charlotte do with Nick Batum this offseason? I know there are fans that would that would do anything to get him off the roster, um, but I think you need to consider, you know, that expression is the juice worth the squeeze. Um, what another team would make you do in order to um, take on that contract might be really painful. I think that people, until we see evidence to the contrary, people need to get their heads around the idea that Nick will be a, a, a Hornet the next two seasons. And I think... Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a big challenge to Borrego not to just write him off. I think he needs to do that. I think that it would be foolish to, to do that. And I will tell you that no matter what else anybody thinks of Nick and what he is or is not contributing, his strength in the NBA is in utility, um, that he can play many different positions, that he has a wide skill set. And I think the onus is on Borrego to figure out a way to best use that in whatever role, whether he starts, whether he comes off the bench, whether he, whether he plays 20 minutes at three different positions a night. Um, I, I, you know, I, I would challenge Borrego to make something of that, and, and I think that that's, that's a huge part of the job right now. Let's talk about WiseCam. Wise is the indoor camera that does it all and is packed with premium features that allow you to see everything from anywhere for only 20 bucks. Wise has 1080p full HD, images so clear you won't miss a thing. It has night vision, it's got two-way audio, it's got everything. Wise's mission is to bring amazing smart home products and make it accessible to everyone. You can check on your home anytime with Wise's app live stream, connect with life as it unfolds in sharp focus, and you can live stream with eight times the digital zoom. Wise also has free rolling 14-day cloud storage, as well as no subscriptions. Nothing is too small for WiseCam to watch. You put one of these cameras in front of the TV, you turn it on to an NBA playoff game that you might want to watch, but you'll be out, and so you can't sit in front of the TV yourself, and you can continue to watch former Bobcats, former Hornets just destroy whoever their competition is with their current team in the playoffs. It works with your mobile phone from anywhere, and again, you get free rolling 14-day cloud storage. Go to wise.com slash Hornets to get the guaranteed lowest price. Again, that's wise.com slash Hornets. We appreciate you guys joining us here once again. We'll come back after the break. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 
This is Locked on Hornets. 10, Al Jefferson. 9, Anthony Mason. 8, Gerald Wallace. 7, Baron Davis. 6, Del Curry. 5, Glenn Rice. 4, Muggsy Bogues. 3, Larry Johnson. 2, Alonzo Mourning. Nice. Number 1, top Charlotte Hornet of all time, Kimba Walker. Thank you, everybody. The list is done. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Rick, let's go to the other comment since you bring up James Borrego. Mitch Kupchak, I I thought that he said something interesting, just not wanting to micromanage James Borrego, not wanting to meddle enough that he is the GM and the head coach is the head coach, and if he feels that there needs to be a change, that he would make a change at head coach rather than meddle in the kind of strategy that a head coach might bring to this team. What did you think about that comment on him not micromanaging James Borrego? First of all, I never thought that he did. Um, I thought that when the things that Borrego did with the, with the rotation were, I never thought those weren't his ideas. I never thought, for instance, when, when fans would, you know, send me things on Twitter saying, I know that, you know, they're only playing, you know, um, Batum because of his salary. I, I never believed that for a second because I don't think that's the way Borrego works. But the other thing that I think you need to keep in mind is at the end of that, that uh, um, subject, when Mitch said, if I, you know, that if he didn't think that a coach was the right fit for the job, it would be his prerogative whether or not to let the guy go. Um, Mitch has a lot of power in this organization, and I think that he has made it very clear um, when that subject has come up in, to say so publicly. Um, I would think, you know, basically he has probably twice as much juice as Rich Cho did when he had the you know similar title. Um, just about everybody who currently works in basketball operations for the Hornets was hired by Mitch. And I assure you that those who weren't hired by Mitch, they know that their job still, you know, still entirely hinges on their ability to make him happy. He is the center of power, and he's probably the most powerful person short of ownership in the history of this franchise. And I'm talking about since, obviously, since expansion in 2004, since Bernie Bickerstaff was both coach and general manager simultaneously. Rick, one more question as far as Kupchak's presser is concerned. It, he also mentioned keeping Malik Monk because of the value in keeping a younger player, not just completely giving up on him, being so young that there might be something there. Just his comments on Malik Monk, what did you make of him? Um, I thought what he didn't say, but which had to be implicit to that, was that Malik probably doesn't have a whole lot of value as a commodity right now. Um, we just don't know what he'd be worth in trade, and, and and the the blush of him being a former lottery pick probably isn't isn't particularly relevant right now. The other thing that we always have to keep in mind is we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen with um, uh, with Lamb and with him being an unrestricted free agent. They need to have a plan B on what to do with his minutes and who would score and who can spread defenses with jump shooting. And uh, as flawed as Malik may be. Um, he still has that kind of skill set. I thought it was interesting that when Malik was asked what he needed to do this summer, he said he absolutely needs to get into the weight room and he needs to, you know, gain 10 pounds. Um, he is frail. There's no other way to describe it. Um, he's listed at 190, might be closer to 175 or 180 from what Mitch said. He needs to be a stout 200. 200 to 205 pounds when he shows up at training camp if he expects to play because as Rex Chapman demonstrated a long, long time ago, um, you know, you shooting guards get beaten up to this league to no end with, with constant 
screens. And Malik right now is not he's still not strong enough to fight his way through them. Rick, is there a body transformation that you can remember that was successful? Somebody that maybe not as thin as Malik because, man, you're right. I mean, he's as frail as they get. But is there a body transformation where somebody was able to put on enough weight where you thought it was significant in helping his game? I thought Rex. Absolutely. Um, and I'll give you, actually, I'll give you an even better one from this team is Kemba. Um, I remember after his second season running into Kemba um, in July, right before Summer League, he wasn't going to be part of Summer League. And, you know, he'd been off for three months, and I, I looked at him and I said, my God, I don't even recognize you from the waist up. That's where you really need to get into strength. I mean, you know, most most basketball players, they're strong enough in their base and their legs. It's from the chest up that they need to start, you know, basically building some body armor. And Kemba did a fantastic job of me. You know, for for a guy who isn't all that big, he is as strong as that frame will allow him to be. A couple of exit interview questions I got for you, Rick. MKG, he mentioned prioritizing happiness over money. You know, how legitimate do you see that as a phrase from him? And also just do you think that means at all that there's a legitimate possibility he would opt out of his player option? I think that um, it was a real shock and something for him really hard to process when he not only, you know, he was, he was fine when they asked him to be a reserve. He was not fine when they sat him down entirely for four games. I think that, that it's been very hard for him to handle that. I think he, he really meant it when he said that right now happiness feels more important than money. Um, having said all that, I really would find it very hard to believe when his agent gets a hold of him and says, I don't think there's $13 million out there for you next season. Um, the, the wise thing to do from a, from a career management standpoint is to exercise the option, write out whatever happens next season, and hit free agency in 2019. That's the practical thing to do from a money manager standpoint. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't understand what MKG was trying to say. And Marvin Williams, last one, Marvin Williams says that he will opt in. He made no bones about it. He will be back with the Charlotte Hornets opting into his contract. Also, Rick, just in typical Marvin fashion and great Marvin fashion, said, I want Kimba back as a teammate, but also I just want Kimba to be happy wherever he decides to go. And Marvin Williams coming back on this team. Look, I'm a huge fan. I think everybody's a huge fan. Big veteran presence that has been rock solid for the team. And it's comments like that why it's so easy to like him. You know, Walker, we, there's very little locker room BS that we deal with. And what we have dealt with the last couple of years was basically about Dwight Howard's immaturity. That's because the foundations of this locker room between Marvin and MKG and Kemba are really strong. Um, they, they like each other. They're just genuinely vested in each other's success. There's not a lot of selfishness here, and there's not a lot of childishness here. And Marvin is hugely important to that. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, I'm not making him Udonis Haslam. You know, I'm not saying that he's <laughs> right. there completely just, just for no other reason than because, you know, you know, you know to hopefully to rub off on people. But believe me, Marvin's value to this team goes way, way beyond what you see on the court. All right, it's Rick. Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us once again on a Tuesday. Again, you can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks for joining me once again this week. I always appreciate it. Absolutely. Talk to you later.